Hi, everyone. We are so excited for you to hear this episode. But before we get into it, we have a couple of disclaimers. Yes, this is part one of a two-part series about being estranged from your family. Before we dive in, we would like to give a trigger warning for a few things. First, in this episode, there are descriptions of violence. We also discuss neglect, abuse, and we mention briefly eating disorders, suicide, and substance abuse. So as usual, please just take care of yourselves with these episodes. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Too Much Too Loud with Karen and Siriana. For those of you who have tuned into our previous episodes, thank you so much for being in community with us and welcome to any new listeners to Too Much Too Loud. Today's episode is so unbelievably special to me and Karen for so many reasons. Karen, would you like to introduce our guest today? Yes. Today's episode is with my mom. Mom, do you want to tell everyone who you are, uh, your pronouns, and your occupation? Sure. My name is Janet. I am one of my occupations is I like being Karen's mom. (laughs) But my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm a licensed clinical social worker, which means I do, and I use that to do therapy. Yes, welcome. And today's episode, as you probably guessed from our title, is about being estranged from the family that raised you. And before we dive in, it's time for our pocket of joy. Janet, you are our guest for today. Would you like to share your pocket of joy from the week? Well, if it can be from today, it's just seeing the two of you on camera. So and being able to do this with the two of you, you both are such good podcasters and I Siriana I've been wanting to be able to see you you know even though it's not in person so yeah oh my gosh thanks Karen what is your pocket of joy that was precious mom that was really cute um also love seeing your faces good stuff and uh, my pocket of joy I would say though is that Yesterday, I was able to watch one of my dear friends um, defend her dissertation and then also was able to celebrate with her. And it was just awesome. So, Jen, if you're listening, so proud of you. Love you. And yeah. (laughs) What about you, Siriana? Well, Jen, I hope you enjoyed your Star Wars themed cake as well that I had heard about. Um, And congratulations. My pocket of joy is obviously hands down this. I am so jazzed and jacked up right now, even though this is a really serious topic. I'm like very giddy and giggling. Um, So yeah, I have been, it has been a very busy week for me and I am just so stoked. So yay, awesome. So because this conversation today is really a chance for Siriana and my mom to discuss their experiences with estrangement, I will be facilitating this conversation, and to begin, I would love both of you to talk about why this topic is important about estrangement and why you wanted to discuss estrangement today. You know, I when you were talking to me, Karen, about Syriana and her not having people to really talk to that have had been estranged for a long time, that's really important for me to be able to do that, and also. I think that some people think that you have to be stuck with the family that you were born into 
no matter what. And I'm here to say, no, that is not true. Sometimes family members can be toxic. And if that's the case, um, maybe some estrangement is useful. Yeah, absolutely. So similar to what Janet just said, this episode is so special to me because I have been no contact with the family that raised me for a number of years. And I haven't ever gotten the chance to sit down with someone who's not only older than me, but someone else who is entirely no contact with their entire family. And it is just like already just like feels so much less lonely. And I was just so excited about that. And then also, I think that a lot of people, when you tell them that you're no contact with your family, they have a lot of opinions or a lot of assumptions about it. People just don't know anything about it if you've never been through it. And hopefully we can shed some light on this wild thing that we've both done. Yeah. Also, I'd say for myself, as a person on the other end where I don't know any of my mom's uh, biological family, the family that raised her, I am really excited to have this conversation today because as well, my mom doesn't really talk about this much. And so I think we're kind of all listening together and learning together about my mom's experiences and also just how they relate or differ from Siriana's experiences. So I'm really excited to be in conversation with you both today about this. And I guess just to begin as well, would you both just care sharing how long it has been for you both for being estranged from your family? So I moved out of my house that I grew up in right after I graduated high school. Um, that summer before I went to college. And then it was about like 10, 11 years of this like back and forth of should I, should I not? And I have been fully no contact for about a year and a half. And then the year prior to that, I had like made that decision, set that boundary, cut those ties, but there was still some kind of contact. How about you, mom? I'm a little bit foggier about how long it's probably been around 30 years, I believe. Um, maybe a little bit less than that, but not much. And there's different phases of it. And I have a lot of siblings. Like I have two brothers and two sisters. So, you know, it's it's not just the parents, but it's also them too. Could you both share what uh, your house was like growing up? Sure. So uh, I grew up in a middle-class, very white family. I am white. I will say it, (laughs) even though sometimes it's embarrassing based on what I see other people who look like me are doing. And in fact, my father didn't mind at all telling racist jokes. So growing up, I sometimes say it looked good on the outside and it was shit on the inside. Both of my parents have problems with alcohol. I kind of thought the way they drank was kind of normal because it's what I saw every day. Uh, My father was very abusive, you know, and my mother didn't do anything about it. So he was verbally and physically abusive. Um, There were times I thought that he might kill me because he had choked me. He had held a knife up to my throat, you know, those kinds of things. And was there some good things? I got to participate in some sports. I enjoyed that. I met some coaches and some teachers that really helped me because I saw that I was treated incredibly different by them, but it was very, you know, it was very abusive. 
did you tell those adults in your life about the abuse in your house? And if you did, how did they react? And then also, since you have a bunch of, you had a bunch of siblings growing up, did they also experience the same abuse? Was it something that you all kind of were in camaraderie is a very light way to use that term. And I don't mean it lightly, but like you both all like did all four, five of you, five of you go through the similar thing and you supported each other through that or not really? Yeah. So that's a hard question. Um, I think everyone experienced it to some extent and we didn't really talk about it very much. And no, I did not talk to other adults about it. I think when I was in high school, I was talking to friends some about it. Siriana, do you also want to share? Yes. So my house from the outside, very similar to Janet. We were um, upper middle class white family with the golden retriever and the beautiful home. And from what we presented was absolutely like this picture storybook family with the brown adopted daughter. And there were a lot of really wonderful parts of my childhood with them. And there was a lot of emotional neglect in our house, but specifically with just me, I have a sibling and that was not the same case for him. And in the last episode that we just released, I was over-medicated and misdiagnosed to kind of shut me up and try to form me and mold me into this version of me and as a daughter that they wanted me to be. And then later on, uh, around like 12 or 13, I started experiencing some abuse from a family member and that was not believed. And then that kind of really just set everything else in motion to just be propped up as the family scapegoat. And Essentially, anything after that time that I went through was completely ignored. Like, it was a little bit in elementary school, but like, if I were to go through anything that could be connected to something that was wrong in our house, that was just like not allowed. For an example, I um, had a very minor suicide attempt when I was 16. And we went on family vacation a week later because it was just one of those things where um, very hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil about Siri. And if it was, it was always my fault. I didn't know that the abuse and the like emotional neglect and all the things that I was experiencing were wrong up until much later in life, probably until 27, maybe did I first realize that like, oh, maybe how I grew up wasn't normal and other people didn't have those experiences. And it's because at every single moment, because of how we presented, I was told to be grateful because they were these two white people who got their child involved in their culture. And so they were just praised to the ends of the earth of how they interacted with me. But behind the scenes, I was being told that I was a terrible child. Like I was manipulative. I was heartless and cruel. And yeah. So I I didn't want to talk when you were speaking, but I did have a reaction. Oh my God. They took you on vacation after your suicide attempt and just didn't speak about it. 
Yeah, I think maybe we like mentioned it, but it was just like, but like to me, that wasn't like normal. Like it was just, it was normal to me. Like I didn't realize until I was much older and was still struggling with very real um, mental health issues that I was like, oh, you know what you don't do? Take your child abroad, like to some like Caribbean island. Yeah, but again, anything that I went through that could be connected to this idea that something was wrong in the house was unacceptable and not allowed. And um, it led to just the like blinders for anything that I was dealing with. And then therefore I didn't address any of the mental health issues I was having until now. (laughs) That is not acceptable on any level. And I'm thinking about it from many different perspective. One, as a parent. Two, as a therapist. Three, as a person just meeting you more. I'm like, are you kidding? And I will share an adolescent experience that I had. So I don't remember. I was in high school and I was hyperventilating a lot. And um, I did have lots of suicidal thoughts. I did not share them with my parents. And I was um, taking medications out of the cabinet and using them. So my mom brought me to the doctor and the doctor said, well, you know, there's nothing physically wrong with you. You might need to have a different kind of a doctor. And that's the way it was said. I get in the car with my mom and honestly, she was like, and I don't want to yell into the mic, but like, what is wrong with you? That was the response to that. And, it, and I will say to you that even well into my adulthood, I had to do therapy about that particular response. In essence, I became a scapegoat for them in their, in their really abusive behaviors. Well, thank you so much, mom, for sharing this. You know, I've heard um, this story before, but I hadn't heard the part where you talk about how you've had, or just you telling us that you've had to do therapy, you know, years into your adulthood because of that. And, you know, I can't even imagine the effects that a young child is experiencing all of these issues. And, you know, you're seeking help, you turn to your parents for help when, you know, you're going through something. And to have your parent right away respond in such a violent way to you and a way to make you question your sanity almost is really, um, awful, really awful. Yeah, Janet, I want to just echo off of Karen. One thing that I have been reflecting about a lot is what, what could have happened if I had gotten the help that I needed and deserved earlier on. And it's not like a woe is me, I'm wallowing, but it is something that I deserve to process and you deserve to process. And just in hearing you talk about this and getting in the car with your mom and her being like, what is wrong with you? I, I remember the car rides that I would have with my own mother and the conversations that took place and just thinking about younger Janet and um, just like how I see you now as this someone who I just look up to so much. And I also just feel so sad for younger you and I'm just so sorry that you had to go through that. You deserve to get the help that 
you needed at the time because of the actions of the adults and the caretakers that were taking care of you and they had real effects on you. And I just, yeah, I relate and I'm also so sad for you. It's really interesting. So I got my dog a year ago and when I got my dog, she got injured a ton. And in the midst of all of this, I was like, oh, it's so easy to not ignore what's happening with my dog, like this animal. It was like this weird moment, which I'm sure you have had as a mother, where I was like, oh, it's so easy to not ignore what's going on with my dog. Therefore, it was probably could be way easier to not ignore what's going on with your child that's like right in front of you. So yeah, absolutely. Once you start caring for other humans or animals, then you can realize that what, right? You know, and the amount of denial in my family is incredible. So mom, you know, Siriana shared that later in life, she was able to see that the abuse that she endured wasn't normal. And I'm wondering if you could tell us, or if you know, um, that point that you got to when you realized that what was happening to you in your home was not normal. Sure. Um, let's see. I come from a long line of alcoholics um, who are not in recovery, as far as I know. And I started taking pain medication that I was prescribed, and then I enjoyed not being present. And then I began drinking as well. And I got sober when I was almost 24. And if I wouldn't have, I would have died. I'm very sure of that. So I did start being in therapy when I was in college before, before um, I got sober. So there was some things I was talking about then. But as I got sober, even more discussion about this is abusive behavior. Um, This is not normal parenting, those kinds of things. So what was it like for you to have those realizations? You know, so it was both painful and also validated because I had spent a bunch of time thinking that I needed to die and there was something wrong with me. And I was told there was something wrong with me on a regular basis in many different ways. So yeah, validated. Do you think that, um, well, I, I guess I don't know exactly the circumstances of your coming out, but do you think that being gay also played a role in how your parents were treating you and, you know, saying there's something wrong with you? Well, that happened later. I came out later. Um, I did have a friend that was, um, that they knew about that was being excommunicated from her church because she was Mormon and she was gay. Uh, They knew about that. They asked me about myself and I just kind of was like, no. And I didn't really know, but I will tell you when I told my mother that I was a lesbian. So part of the conversation was, I said, well, mom, you have all these co-workers that are gay. They were like, she had gay male hairdressers that she was the manager for and they were out. And she said, it's not like that. It's like finding out somebody in your family has cancer. And I said, so you think this is a terminal illness, but that that's kind of response that, that I might get from them about different things. And that's, I was in my twenties when I said that. Wow. What a message that was probably for you to hear that your mother who is supposed to love and support you and show up for you thinks that 
you know, even though you were closeted, that you as a closeted lesbian had terminal cancer based on who you love. That must have just been so devastating and upsetting. And I know you just said that you were in your 20s, but that doesn't change that dynamic regardless of your age. Wow. Just like, it's just another way that your family was unable to show up for you and support you and love you in the ways that they needed to. Yeah. When I hear that, I'm thinking a lot about what you're saying earlier about the whole, what is wrong with me? And for so much of your life, really wondering about that. And I'm sure it had to do with, you know, responses like this, where your parents make it like, make you out to be that who is wrong. And like, we're talking about, in you know, the episode with Siriana, like a lot of pathologizing that goes on with, with people. And yeah, it's just really upsetting hearing how, yeah, your parents treated you growing up. So I would love to hear now kind of about the circumstances and the moments of realization when you, for both of you, when you were like, okay, like I can't be connected with these people in my life anymore. So it's like a two part um, with 10, 11 years in between, because this is a process. I am a classically trained Indian dancer. And my senior year of high school, I had this big dance performance um, that I had worked really hard for a year for. It's a solo dance performance. And essentially, my abuser showed up to my dance graduation. And I didn't know it until the end. And they were not supposed to be there and they showed up. And so for the first time since this abuse occurred or whatever, I had made it very, very apparent that I was like, no, like this is my day. I've worked so hard for this. Like this is unfair to me. And I was just so like upset. And that was the wrong emotion to have about this. And the next day, both um, James and Anne, which is the alias I used to um, talk about them, and both James and Anne came in in two separate conversations. And James came in and sat down on my bed and looked at me and goes, yesterday I was the proudest father in the world. And today I am so sad you will not tear apart this family ever again. So you need to apologize and like figure it out. And I texted my older sister, who is a part of my chosen family. And I was just like, I cannot do this anymore. I don't, I don't remember my wording. I know she does, but, and she was like, okay, well move in with me. And I was like, okay. So um, it was bonkers summer. And then I lived with her and three other friends and their families from high school um, that summer. And then went straight to college and then never returned to that house until like 2016. And then for like 11 years, I was like going back and forth, back and forth, like in so much therapy about it and trying to make it work because no one wants, doesn't want their families in their life. Like no one chooses this. It's not fun. And I was just like, I mean, just so many tears and so much emotion for years and years. And then I actually the first doctor or person to call um, James and Anne abusive was this psychiatrist that I actually spoke about in my previous episode. And when, and when I was 25, she was like, your parents are abusive. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Excuse me. This is abuse. Wait, who said this? What is this? And so that had planted the seed. And then for the next 
like three-ish years, people at that point were like, you just need to just cut them off. And I was like, no, I can't do that. Like, I am like a good daughter, like all of these things. And then I kind of woke up one day and I was like, all right, I'm doing it. And I, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my therapists again do as I say, not as I do talk to your therapist before making this decision. Um, and I was like, I'm going to do this. I wrote this like note and like, was like, all right, I'm going to go. And so I (laughs) emailed it to them, VCC, my therapists, and then sent out a text to everyone in my life because most people knew this was coming. It wasn't like a, whoa, but it was like, wait, what you did this at the same time. And I said, Tonight, I cut off James and Anne. I appreciate your support. And if you have any thoughts other than support about it, I do not want to hear them. Thank you. Love you. And that's how I cut them off. So I love that. I love that story. (laughs) I love that story. Thank you. And, you know, one of the things you said that I really had to have and, and have done a lot of therapy around this particular issue. It's not... And it doesn't come lightly, but when you realize that it for you or for when I say you, I mean, for anyone that continuing to have contact with them could be something that is, you know, life ending, basically, um, because it would have been for me. And um, but it's it's done with a lot of help. It's done with a lot of thought. It's done with a lot of therapy. And I'm glad that you just said to people if you are not supportive, then just don't talk to me about it. I love that because people don't know what they don't see. When you left your parents' house after the performance, were there moments, or I guess I I would love to know how they reacted to you picking up and leaving and moving in with your friends. I got a lot of very like long letters from Anne or emails about being devastated and heartbroken. It's one of those things, I don't know how they immediately reacted. I was obviously not there when they found out. I actually saw like a very useless therapist at the time from like seventh through all the way through high school. And this is like the one time she came in like handy um, was that she, I made this decision, had a therapy appointment and said like, and this occurred within like that happened on a Sunday that they had those conversations with me. I was gone by like Wednesday. And so this happened like very fast, but I had an appointment with her. I was like, this is what I'm doing. I wrote them a letter. I gave it to the therapist. And then Anne went to that therapist appointment. I said, I'm not going. You can just go to that session, which is a whole other conversation. And she went and they were like, and the therapist just like handed her a letter. and be like, surprise, your daughter's not home when you come home. In terms of like reaction, it was a really, really, really hard summer. Um, There was just like a lot of them telling and calling almost all of the people that I lived with that summer, telling them to watch out for, for me, that I am manipulative, that I'm a liar, that things I'm saying are not true. They've always provided a safe space for me. And they don't know why I did this. That denial, even at that point, was so ingrained that I think they were just really surprised. And I mean, obviously they were pissed. (laughs) Um, And it was like weird because I was about to go to college and stuff like that. So like navigating and like financially tied to them in a lot of ways. So it was really tricky. And I'm sure 
like you know we've been talking about with this episode but also with the previous episode with your story I'm sure they're mad because it was one of the only points that they felt like they didn't have control of you and they couldn't control your reaction and your movement too so I'm sure that losing control obviously angered them you know I'm thinking I had a much easier time in many ways than you because I was in college and so when then what I started to do was just not return for summers. <laughs> and I began slowly not having stuff to do with them. And um, I myself also, after I got sober, wrote them a letter about their alcoholism <laughs> and some other things, which they did not take kindly to. <laughs> and um, pretty, I'm, I feel pretty certain that most of my siblings were informed of this and then I was made out to be the bad guy. Was there like a moment where you were like, this is what I need to do? Or it kind of was the natural progression of phasing out? You know, I don't know if there was exactly a moment, but there were several moments (laughs) of decision making. So, and it also, it gets a little complex because even after I made that decision, At one point, I brought them into a therapy conversation. We were on the phone, and I confronted each of them about some of their behaviors individually. And I can't repeat on this podcast what they said. Hello, editing Karen here. So we wanted to keep our conversation as authentic and natural as possible. And we came into this episode with an understanding that if we shared certain experiences with one another, that we didn't feel comfortable sharing with our listeners, that we would delete that. So if parts of this episode feel a little bit awkward, that's why. But I did want to make note of Siriana and my mom's response to this idea of phasing your family out of your life. I think this speaks really well to the idea that estrangement isn't linear or always a neat process. It's messy, it's complex, and it takes time in different stages. Because I think a lot of people think of estrangement as, you know, this idea of you want to not have someone in your life and so you just cut them off completely but as we see here it can be a very gradual process and also there can be quote-unquote relapses as well so I just think that's really important to note so now back to the episode I have a question that I think we can both answer and it's what do you think saved you or like helped you from giving up in your house growing up for me, I was very angry. <laughs> and so I think that probably would help. I also thought that the coaches that I had in some of the sports and how I was treated by some of them and some teachers helped me get through that. But that, you know, I think that's how. And also drinking and drugs. Yeah, <laughs> that's very real. I feel similarly from a really young age, I realized that the house that I was growing up in was, or I felt it, um, was unsafe in some way. And I didn't realize that was what it was. So I was able to really put a high, or I did put a really high emphasis on my relationships with friends and their families. And I was really taken in by a number of different families throughout my life, um, growing up. And like, that was hands down, so life-saving, 
so many people provided a safe space for me when I was at their house, even if it was for like an hour or two after school or a few hours on the weekends without realizing it. Also, like similar to how your coaches were, teachers, absolutely, like none of them knew what was going on in my house. They like knew that I had depression and had anxiety, but like none of them knew the circumstances around it. But yeah, they were just like there and it was wonderful. And also had an eating disorder uh, and that really helped too. (laughs) So, well, yeah. So when we're distressed, we're going to find whatever way we can to lower, no, this is kind of the therapist talk that goes on, but I'm not therapizing you. When we're distressed, we will find ways that work to decrease our distress. And then hopefully, you know, we can learn ways to do it that doesn't cause other problems. So both of us, right, had some things going on that caused other problems, unfortunately. But, you know, it's the best we could do at the time. I just want to touch on what you said, Siriana, about having people around you and being taken in by families around you that really helped when you were living with your the people who raised you. And I would love to know for both of you sort of how or if you, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but if you had chosen family during this time and after uh, the no contact with your parents and how you went about creating a safe space in chosen family for yourselves? Um, so I started building my chosen family without realizing it from a really young age. I didn't like call it that. It's like, it feels trendy now to like have a chosen family, but it was not for a good number of years. People did not understand that concept. So yeah, I always had some safe place. There is the family that I grew up next door to. I would be in their house even when they weren't home. And they're so grateful that their parents just like, let me do that. And we've kind of, we've definitely had conversations around this um, throughout the last couple of years about like how life-saving that was and everything. So I, it was kind of like a natural thing that happened over time, like where I started building my chosen family really after I moved out where I would just start talking and being like your family or we're family and kind of having those conversations. Now I refer to, you know, these like group of people just as family and um, as my sisters and whatnot. And for some of them, that was that like shift was an actual conversation with them about being like, okay, well, when you talk about like your family, instead of saying like my family, I will say our family and things like that. Whereas like other people, it just like kind of happened naturally. Well, one thing I wanted to say is that for a period of time, I was older than you, Siriana, when this happened. But after I got sober and was sober for a bit, um, I went and lived with a family that, um, as an adult, who were very loving and kind and very different <laughs> than my family. And, you know, who knew, you know, that what my family had done was abusive. And that was helpful for me to see how another family worked, um, you know, and living with them for a summer was very helpful for me in that way. Um, 
I, other people that I chose, it kind of happened like friends that I met, people that I met in college, some friends that I met in different workplaces that I was at. The first set of chosen kind of people were people that I met after I got sober and through my then partner who was sober free, um, prior to me. One thing that I am kind of navigating is that it sounds like very simple to have a chosen family, like, like, oh, they're your family and you call them family and that's it. But it's actually not. It's really hard because even if you are having those discussions, what that means and what chosen family means, like someone can call you family and what I'm my expectations of what that means and how I would treat someone like who if I called them family is different and in the way that that person does and it's not like something that they're trying to be harmful or they're trying to be something it's just like what their limitations are what they're comfortable with and how they view family and what that means and I would love for you to speak Janet to this because it's something I'm trying to navigate like Sometimes it always feels like I always have more to lose than the other person. I recently um, ended a very, very long friendship with someone that I was friends with for over 15 years. And her family was my family for a number of years. I was on their Christmas card for one year. I would spend all the holidays with them. And in that, I'm realizing like, oh, I will always have something more to lose because they can walk away because they have a whole family unit who loves and cares about them. And my, I had a disagreement with two of my sisters. Um, and I really, I had to, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to speak to them about this. Like, I don't want this to like fester or anything. And when I was like getting ready to talk to each of them about it, it was really, really scary for me. I do feel very secure in that family and that um, dynamic, but I still, there's still this thought in the back of my mind, like, what if they like, don't like what I'm saying? And they're just like, bye, like, who do I have? And like, yes, I have people, but they, like every one of my people has their own family and people who claim them. And I am the addition. And even though it's wonderful and loving, there's always this like yucky power dynamic. I don't know if you felt similar to that, Janet, or can speak to that at all. I'd really love it. Sure. You know, and what I would say is, right. So the people that I would have as chosen family had their own families and they were not estranged from their families. So losing those relationships, yes can become so much more painful. And I will say when my daughters were in high school, some things happened and I lost two friends, one who I'd been friends with for multiple decades and the other a a very long time, maybe less decades, but still decades. And we had disagreement, disagreements about related to my parenting and they took some they did engage in some behaviors that were betraying, betrayal, big betrayal. And so then those went away. And that also impacted, you know, um, Karen and my, and my other daughter, because 
we would spend holidays with these families. We would spend weekends with these families. We would do these other things. But when it came down to, oh, you've committed a betrayal that is so large, you are actually interfering with my my family of myself and my daughters. This isn't happening. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's not, um, it's never simple. <laughs> I think one thing too that is um, important to note is that estrangement also affects other people as well. So, you know, thinking about the situation with me and my sister and my mom with her, um, with the chosen family that we had. So, you know, obviously with my sister and I, we were involuntarily estranged from my mom's family as well, which, you know, growing up, although I obviously didn't, didn't want to meet my mom's family, I, it, you know, I think you you sometimes do still feel this like this desire to have extended family as well so you know having a grandma or a grandpa or cousins as well was something that I really did desire and so when we did start cultivating a chosen family having that was so incredibly nice um and then you know just what you you Siriana and my mom were talking about this thing of of how there's so much more to lose when you are someone else's chosen family I feel like I definitely felt those effects when we stopped being connected to the chosen family that we had. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that just kind of speaks to how estrangement is multifaceted. There are multiple layers, multiple people um, are affected by estrangements. And it's just, yeah, it's a messy process. And chosen family is, like you were saying, Sirana, way more complex than um, I think a lot of people think or make it out to be. Can I ask a follow-up question? Mm -hmm. so you are engaged (laughs) yay (laughs) and um does your partner have a large extended family and have you have you found that kind of like extended family through your partner's family or if not have you like kind of built your because you do also have to build your own chosen family in a way right because as your mom said her family is you, your sister, and her. And so, you know, like, I look at some of my loved ones who have so many, I mean, I know you have a nephew, but who have so many nieces and nephews and little ones and cousins and aunts and uncles who like shower them and just like, you know, do all these things and stuff. Like, have you, do you seek that out now in your day-to-day life? Uh, Yeah, I know that was like a multitude of questions that jumbled (laughs) together. Yeah, let me try to answer all those. John has a fairly small family. Um, he doesn't have any grandparents and he has, um, let's see, his, his parents both have one sibling. And so in Minnesota, he has um, two cousins and then he has cousins as well in, in Texas. So, uh, and I don't think they're not too close. Like his whole, I guess it's mostly just his parents that he's really close with and his brother. Um, occasionally there's family things that we do with his cousins. So I think, yeah, I'm not being kind of indoctrinated into this huge family, um, which I don't mind. But one thing I will note is that with my nephew, and I think my sister and I have talked about this as well, is like when he was born, I think because as well, we have such a small, you know, nuclear family that what is really important for both of us and especially my sister is for him to be close with um, relatives. So to have a close relationship with his aunts and a close relationship with his cousins and 
um, his mom or my mom, our mom, um, his grandmother. Um, and you really do realize, I feel like when at least I don't have kids, but my sister does just like how, how important that kind of feels to you and how you, if you didn't have that before, how you really want to cultivate a strong family for, um, someone else. Yeah, that's such an important perspective. And thank you so much for sharing that, especially just like about your nephew and your sister and building that family and having those relationships so important because you didn't have that. I think that people who have these large extended families, I always say like the family reunion families or the families that always meet up like once a year for like a week or something like that, (laughs) like don't realize like what they have often. And yeah, it's just really important. So thank you for sharing that. And the other thing that I wanted to add was that when someone chooses to be estranged, not just from one person, right? It's a lot more typical to be, my therapist actually said this, that it's a lot more typical to be estranged from one member of your family or two members of your family or, you know, something like that. But it's something, it's another thing to be estranged from the, your entire family, mm-hmm that raised you. And that has ripple effects for the rest of your life. It affects every, a lot of different aspects of your life. And if you have children, like your mom did, then like you don't, won't have those grandparent figures in your life or the extended family figures in your life that are like biological or the family that raised you. Right. And so it's making me reflect a lot right now about um, if I were to ever have children or anything like that, or yeah, like I just had never thought about that. They wouldn't have those figures in their life in the same way that I did. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing. I guess a question that I have is, and I I don't know if this comes up as much regularly for you, mom, but how do you talk about your estrangement with others when people are asking, oh, like, you know, what, what's your family like? Like, how do you talk about this? And have you found that it's changed how you talk about it over time? I'm just curious about that. Sure. It has changed over time. And it also depends on who I'm talking to, right? So there was a time when I might have been more vocal about just exactly how I perceived them. (laughs) And then there became some other times that I just didn't say much about them. When I was parenting, it was my family was Karen, you and your sister. That was my family. And so I didn't, if somebody asked questions about my family, that's what I would remark about. But there was a time when I would say, I would say they were abusive, that they were alcoholic and drinking. And then there became a time where I just didn't so much anymore. I also wanted to say, go back, circle back to something. I think because other people do have other families (laughs) that I have needed to be pretty strong in and of myself. Mm, mm -hmm. And I think that's probably, I would imagine that's probably true for you, Siriana, that you have to have a strong sense of self because you know, like, okay, I'm the one I can count on. I have so much to say. I will answer Karen's question first. What was your question? It was (laughs) just about how you talk about your estrangement to others and if it's changed over time. Yeah, absolutely. So that has shifted so much. 
Um, part of this uh, dynamic as well comes from having grown up in the um, South Indian community where we grew up um, and having a lot of um, Asian and South Asian friends. So earlier on, like for the first like five years of my estrangement, but not no contact, I um, was very secretive kind of about it. And a lot of my friends from high school, because they had were there the summer that I moved out and they were like, why is Siri living with blah, blah, blah and stuff like that. It was, it's always like this kind of awkward, like when I had them still in my life, it was like, are you talking to your parents? This is exactly how it would go whenever I would catch up or talk to someone. And so I was not confident in the way that I spoke about it. And I actually had to end some friendships for a temp, like a period of time. And it wasn't like anything that was like, it wasn't like malicious or vicious or anything in what they were saying, but South, the South Asian, Asian communities really put a high emphasis on families and more than like <laughs> white people. And I had friends who did not understand what I was dealing with or going through. And especially because of how our family presents as these like, like leave it to beaver type people. Um, and so it didn't make sense. And it looked like I was being ungrateful and problematic and rude and disrespectful and just like super white, really. And I, part of the reason that I didn't cut them off for so long was because I thought that to be Tamil, to be Indian, to really have that, I couldn't ever do that to them um, because that was like a white people thing. White people cut off their family. Like I would never be so disrespectful to do something like that. And so it is something that I'm really, or was very guarded about in telling them because I had friends who I had one friend who straight up called me selfish and she was like, I don't understand what you're doing. And it again, wasn't malicious. It wasn't anything meant to hurt me. She didn't understand it. And so I've had about three friendships that we did not talk for a number of years and we found our way back to each other and we've been able to have these conversations and they've all been like, yeah, I just didn't get it at the time, but like, I get it now and I respect you and I see you and so now um, in terms of like being no contact, I, or telling people about it, I do not tell anyone like the circumstances. That's a big thing um, as my confidence has grown. I don't know if you feel similar Janet, where I don't need to explain myself or my story to anyone. Like you can get out of my life in an instant if you don't get it. And so sometimes I'll be like, if I'm just hanging out and meeting you, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm no contact with my family. And I have my chosen family whom I refer to as family. It's always like a little bit awkward. Um, and most people don't ask follow-up questions because it's like very weird and invasive <laughs> to do so. Um, but I am, yeah, I have to have like a really strong sense of self about it because so many people have so many opinions. And again, I think the cultural shift about being estranged from your family has shifted a lot, or at least in my like weird woke therapisty bubble that I live my life in, people have are a lot more understanding now. I really appreciate about you talking about the complexities of that 
I really do. And, um, you know, so you're trying to be a part of the community. Yeah. Um, your parents are white. You're trying to be part of the, your other community with, and, and then to kind of get the message from them that what you're doing is wrong too. Where does that leave you? Right. Yeah. And, you know, because of all the things that people were told, especially the Indian community growing up were told about me, it damaged and affected a lot of things, including my relationship with dance, which is and was the like one of the most important aspects of my life. And I ended up having to leave dance because of it. And it, it's a, it was a combination of a, a lot of things mixed in, but the overarching thing is, and I have since talked to my dance teacher about this. Yeah, Siriana, I am so sorry that you had to give up something that you loved so much because your parents were lying about you and because other people didn't understand in the Indian community, didn't understand what was happening. And, and the idea that you had to give up something you love that's that's really incredibly sad to me. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It was really hard and it's still something that I really need to do a lot of work around because it is and was such an important aspect of who I was and my identity and my culture. But uh, I definitely am feeling like this might actually be a good spot to wrap up part one. I don't know, Karen, what are you thinking? Yeah. I think so too. I think we have a lot more to talk about, but this is a lot right now too. <laughs> All right. To our Too Much Too Loud audience, this has been part one of our two-part series on being estranged from your family. Tune in next week for part two, and we will continue this conversation with Karen's mom, Janet. Yes, and as always, please make sure you're following us on our Instagram page. The link will be in the description below to keep up to date with us. We appreciate your existence, and we know others do too. Until next time, bye! Bye!